The Viewpoint on SAFM, Monday to Thursday, 8 p.m. till 10 p.m. Songhezo Mabete on SAFM. Dr. Bengu, good evening. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much, and uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Quite a historical time for us to be in conversation with each other. 30 years ago, the mood in South Africa, oh my goodness gracious, take us back. What might it have been like? For those who perhaps might miss it, for those who are less than 30 years of age, and at the time I was nine, I have a vague memory of what was going on, but I don't quite yet appreciate the gravity of what pretty much was at stake. Take us back there. Yes, in fact, uh, as you're mentioning that, I remember because I was doing my honours degree at uh, the University of Natal, and two weeks before... Uh, Chris and had just visited Peter Marisberg and the campus in particular uh, accompanying uh, Nelson Mandela and the very senior leadership team of the ANC and uh, by 10 o'clock to half past 10 in the morning of the Saturday when the news broke uh, I mean in Peter Marisberg in particular this is a time when the city itself, particularly the township in Bali, is uh, logged in fierce battles between uh, the UDF and Ngata MBs. Uh, and so when the news broke, um, I mean, it was almost like end of history, kind of. Um, and, 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 and essentially, there was just such a great sense of loss, great sense of anger. Uh, I, I remember, obviously, uh, almost most of us, obviously, we were still very young also at that time, almost our immediate gut response was about, you know, uh, going out to fight now, you know. Uh, and, 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 and so it was, it was um, the intervention of the leadership at that time was quite significant because uh, almost across the country we were all of a sudden uh, thrust into the knife edge uh, in which things could have gone either way essentially uh, but that intervention um, was quite significant in, in, in the intervention of Madiba taking to the SABC and calling for calm or is there something else you are referring to that intervention yes uh, 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 but, but obviously obviously we will say here is the intervention of Matiba as the individual, but we do understand some some of us who were part of the structures that this was a collective decision of the leadership in which obviously Mandela is now the leader of the ANC was then the personification of that of mm. the decision. Mm. Uh, but 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 I think that's one of the times in which I think uh, the possibilities and the potential for leadership that the NC had was seen in inability to uh, not only bring calmness, but the ability to turn such what could have been a very catastrophic one event, uh, because it was a very uh, catastrophic yeah, event, to actually become a catalyst because it was from that event that I think. The, the entire movement was able to force 27 April the following year. When the armed struggle was suspended, Chris Hani lamented the lack of consultation in the arrival of that decision. 
and as one, if you like, who was that military leader in the tripartite alliance, if I can call it that, certainly as the negotiations were about to start or had just started, he doesn't mince his words in one of the few items that is available in him speaking that that should not have been the decision at the time. It was still too soon. It, it was a call for calm in an environment that was anything but calm. If you look at, for instance, and I'm referring to history now, the conflict between, if not UDF and Ingata, ANC and Ingata, how the government at the time was commented to have been sponsoring this surreptitiously or clandestinely. And at that point, to ask of the ANC unilaterally like that in an environment that was otherwise hostile to it, and there'll be competing views nonetheless, but he says that decision was premature. This will always be speculative. Might that in itself created the kinds of vulnerabilities then that saw Ekrisani being assassinated the way he was? Um. I mean, it's... it's in in, in it, other it, words, it, the, 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 the system and, and those who are dead set against the negotiations, who, albeit they knew it was inevitable, what was to happen, who were just the last kicks of a dying horse, it gave them that much more room to move, and unfortunately, with the kind of consequence it had specifically for Rukhrisan. It could have been, but another way also of looking, of possibly looking at it was that if 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 the arms struggle would have continued, uh, maybe it could have given justification for even much more open, almost hunting of leaders of the movement at that time. Sure, yeah, yeah. Using the guys that, with you. you know, there, there is conflict. Um, I mean, one of the significant things, in, in fact, uh, I must say, uh, one of our senior researchers at the institute we are actually trying to write some proposal on, on, on trying to investigate not just the case of Hani but uh, the other cases for instance the case of dr webster the case of uh, the lawyer luboski uh, and the number of others that were assassinated particularly between 1989 uh, and then chris Hani being the last one in 1993 uh, you also have the credit for brothers, you know. Um, 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 I mean, one of the key You want another TRC, in short. Uh, it's, it's not TRC necessarily, but I think, to be honest, the case of Neil Ackett, uh, uh, I think, has been quite useful um, in, in case of the inquest and around. Timor as well? Yes. And, and, and the kinds of information that it has been able to unearth. But also the kind of closure that it has enables those families to be. But as you're speaking, I'm just yeah. thinking now. These are surely the shortcomings of the TRC because these are the kinds of things I would imagine a TRC ought to have unearthed to create a sense of ownership of the realities of the time. Whoever needs to own it, but particularly and especially to unearth the truth, to give those who were most affected by the deaths of these many men and women that we have mentioned and will continue to mention if ever time allowed, to get. Unfortunately, the TRC, in many respects, and if the nation's tensions or anything to go by, fell short on that. Certainly it did. Uh, but I think for me, maybe the key thing, uh, I mean, part of the challenges in South Africa uh, uh, generally is that we, we tend to like 
silver bullet solution. So effectively, one trick ponies, mm. almost one thing as a panacea of all our problems. Panado. Yeah. For all your pain. Y yes, for all your pain, and and so, and 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 I think, uh, and I think in a lot of ways that's the tendency that we tend to, to that's the tendency we tend to have, you know. So the the TRC was a very significant process. And I think there's a lot of contribution that it has given. But unfortunately, the challenge also is, is, is exactly that, that the TRC was then framed as the one panacea that is going to solve all mm. our problems, uh, uh, whereas it could have been used as a, a baseline, uh, for instance, in which then other cases could be uh, uh, could be explored. And, uh, and so uh, that's generally, the cha I think the challenge that we have is, 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 is that. And so when the shortcomings which are inevitable of every kind of process mm. come up we then almost want now to throw everything away instead of looking it as part of the broader process and probably long-standing process of things that still must follow i suppose then the next question and i'm going to invite you to engage on is if that be used as the basis for the broader process or the ongoing conversation, then what is to be that broader process, that ongoing conversation? And I would especially invite you on the other side of this short break to tell us about the work of the Chris Heine Institute as you engage your takeover. Everybody, after the break, it's Conversations that you connect with and react to. SAFM. on SAFM. Uh, greetings, everyone. So my name is uh, Sitemi Sopengu, as has been introduced. Uh, I'm the director of the Krisani Institute. Um, essentially, at the Institute, we do labor research, and we do currently we are working on a multi-year program around worker education research, and we do uh, various other kinds of research, uh, which, for instance, uh, in 2021, we wrote the history of Nehau, which is a 30-year history, and uh, we have worked with the Department of Sociology at UJ on migration, which, which also produced a book. And so essentially we do intellectual work, academic work, uh, but also we do political and worker education for trade unions, as well as for other progressive structures. Uh, and I, I'm very glad today to be here and we uh, to have uh, joining me uh, Professor Manja Khatebe, uh, who is a uh, associate professor at the University of Johannesburg, who has just written uh, a, a, a quite an exciting book, uh, which is titled The Lost Prince of the ANC. Uh, professor Khatebe, uh, welcome to you. Please just uh, greet the viewers. Uh, good evening, Dr. Pengo, and good evening to the listeners. Thanks for having me. Uh, by the way, in the profile, uh, Professor Khatebe, uh, I'm not sure whether intentionally, but he he, he did not mention that uh, he is also the chairperson of the uh, deputy chairperson of the Communist Party in Gauteng, uh, and, and so he's he's an academic, an intellectual, but also an activist in his own right. Uh, Professor Kate, but just maybe to start, uh, 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 we are looking here at your quite exciting book, fascinating book, in which you have titled it. The Lord's Prince of the ANC, The Life and Times of Jablani Nobleman Mzala Numalo. And uh, 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 in reading the book, I found it quite fascinating. And obviously, as I've had conversations with you before, 
uh, and, and so I, I believe that we will have a, quite an interesting conversation uh, 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 in looking at this book. Just maybe just firstly, uh, 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 let me get your thoughts on, uh, uh, obviously we are now, just yesterday we were commemorating 30 years of the assassination of Chris Arne. And uh, what for you probably you think will be some of the similarities between uh, the story on the life history of Chris Arne as well as that of Msara Mimala? Uh, thank you very much for that uh, question, uh, Tembi. So I know that many uh, people might be quick uh, to point out uh, uh, at their upbringing, for example, in the countryside. Some will point out their religious upbringing. Some will point out their love for books, etc. But in my view, it is uh, their convictions uh, to the belief and the commitment to the socialist revolution in South Africa that stands out for me. They were both committed uh, in the resolution of the South African national question through socialism. How they analyzed, in my view, and the, the building up the you know of a non-racial, non-sexist, democratic country uh, through the Marxist lens um, is what makes both of them uh, very uh, fascinating. Uh, of course, uh, they were both part of the National Liberation Movement. And if you look at someone like Mzala, for example, you would have argued that, the yes, the national uh, liberation might relax the national tensions uh, to provide what you, you would call a partial solution to the South African problem. But in his views... Uh, it was only through socialism that could guarantee the lasting and fundamental uh, solutions in South Africa. But most importantly, I think they, they, uh, their bravery is what, uh, for me, I'll, I would say mm. definitely are the similarities. Uh, two important documents. I mean, most, most of your listeners would, would know about the so-called Hani Memorandum, but if you juxtapose that memorandum with Mzala's article, Cooking the Rice Inside the Pot, you can discern the similarities and their bravery and how they would have tackled some of the current problems in South Africa. Thank you very much for that, uh, Professor Hadebe. Just follow up on that, um, you know, I mean, in my own reading, I, I, I do get a sense of those similarities about their upbringing but maybe on the on uh, uh, not just on the rural but uh, around to reference both Hani and Mzala the role of family in inculcating a culture of reading literacy numeracy training uh, but also both of them quite conscientious attitude hard work as young people um, um, uh, um, and and in how that framed and essentially almost framed what they became as adults uh, and 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 in this case obviously as you correctly mentioned uh, as marxist and also leninist uh, uh, i remember the words of lenin where in which he was speaking to the to the communist youth where he says i must say that the tasks of the youth in general is and the and young communist league and others organizations in particular uh, he, he continues to say uh, uh, that that the biggest challenge of the youth is to learn 
that for them there's one task that the young people must focus mm. on and that task is to learn uh, uh, just just in a brief sense what does that mean to you and uh, what does that say uh, 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 you know uh, 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 and how does that instruction almost in a way exemplify the lives of Mzala and and Krisani as a whole to start to start with your first the first part of your question there's a friend of mine who is famous for saying those who do not read should not lead uh, of course i often concur with him but i normally extend these sentiments by saying that it depends on what you read but of course what you read start the starting point you must mm -hmm. read something so yes the culture of reading that was imbued in both Hani and Mzala at a very young age was quite pivotal in their development. But coming to the second part of your question, using that quote uh, on Lenin uh, talk, speaking to Gom Somol and the importance of learning. In fact, I think it's very important and it's instructive um, the way you read it. Uh, and actually in the, the current uh, Young Communist League of South Africa, um, has got a very exciting pro, a pro, a pro, a pro program called the Jaws Love Right to Learn campaign. Because I think it is a very crucial campaign for the youth that must be supported. But equally, what I also find interesting with our YCL, um, once upon a time, they used to say we, would like, we, wa we want to be like Chris. Of course, referring to Chris Ani. Mm. And recently I heard one, uh, one member of the Young Communist League saying to me, we also would like to be like Mzala, which is a very good aspiration in my view, because uh, um, both these were uh, young but amazing leaders who were prepared because of their willingness to read and through reading uh, to learn. Yes. And uh, thank you very much, uh, uh, Professor Khatebe. By the way, in Chapter 4, uh, you know, uh, you title it the emergence of a revolutionary intellectual. Uh, 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 maybe the question there will be, what will be the features or tenets of, 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 of revolutionary intellectualism in our current context? Well, I think let's start here. I think, again, I, I, I think you... The, the importance of reading and learning and writing is, in, is very important. But uh, of course, some, some will argue and I will agree that both Ani and Zala, again, using them as example, were organic intellectuals, intellectuals that grew from their own experiences, their praxis within uh, the movement. But uh, coming back to this chapter, um, uh, the emergence, in a sense, is during this period where we first interact uh, with Mzala's written political work. You may recall, um, because I know that you've read the book, that uh, in earlier chapters, uh, at the age of 12, Mzala has already published, is already a published poet. I mean, his poems uh, are appearing in anthologies uh, with acclaimed and uh, established academics and poets in South Africa, such as Professor DPZ Nduli, if I'm not mistaken. But coming to this period in 1978, it is during this period that we first interact. Uh, actually, Mzala makes his debut in the Journals of the Liberation Movements. Uh, 
in uh, in the African Communist, I think that the, the 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 article is titled "The Compromising Role of Ingat," and already it's just under two years, by the way, that Mzala has skipped the country, and it is during that period that he's interacted with Marxism and Leninism. But through that article, uh, you can descend from his writings. Uh, I mean, of course, he, he uses Marxist Leninist lens lenses to look at the national question uh, in, in, in South Africa. So it is very clear to me that through this period, Mzala continued and persevered with his rigorous and punishing reading schedule, uh, which prepared him to be this emerging young intellectual um, uh, in the movement. And I think he will continue to do so for the next uh, 15, 15 or so years uh, in his time in exile. So, so for me, uh, in the current conjuncture, what will constitute uh, uh, revolutionary intele uh, intellectualism will be obviously the lenses with which you look at the South African problem. But how do you seek to resolve uh, the problem, of course, through your inter intellectual work uh, for the marginalized and the subalternized working class people of South Africa? Thank you very much, Professor Khatebe. Uh, fellow listeners, uh, uh, please remember that this is an interactive show, and please, uh, uh, please join us. Uh, for those who are wanting to make it to be part of this conversation, you can call us on zero eight six zero 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 two zero three two, and you can send your voice notes on zero six one four one zero four one zero seven. And please remember to make uh, your comments in less than uh, sixty seconds. Uh, we are continuing with this wonderful conversation with with Professor Katebe uh, on this interesting book. Uh, uh, Professor Katebe, uh, in page 279, uh, uh, you write that, uh, let me quote, uh, uh, quote, it is possible that this view represented a general uh, Sorry, this represented a general frustration at, of Mzala's generation, the 1976 generation, which felt that the leadership was getting comfortable in exile. Uh, this was the crux of their dissatisfaction at, the, at getting comfortable in exile. This was the crux of their dissatisfaction that was reflected uh, at the 1985 Gabo conference and this content partly captured in Mzala's article, Cooking the Rice Inside the Pot. Now, I, as you mentioned earlier, I do remember that uh, you actually uh, mentioned just earlier this similarity because Hani had written a Hani memorial, by the way, that led to the Morocco Conference in 1969. And the discontent of these uh, combatants in 1985 led to the Guabe Conference, which also became significant. You know, uh, 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 I mean, there are those uh, similarities. And maybe the question uh, uh, that maybe we can come back to later is what contradictions and or what does comfortable leadership issues uh, are facing our current leaders in the current state of the South African Revolution? Uh, but before Professor Hunter, you answer that question, uh, uh, we we have uh, uh, voice notes uh, from some of the listeners. Uh, uh, uh. 
Let's have the conversation. WhatsApp voice notes on 0614-104-107. Good evening, gentlemen. My name is Kanye. I'm in Katleho. I just wanted to ask a question with regard to the assassination of um, Date Chris Hani. I just wanted to know, where does this rumor of the leadership is involved in 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 in, in the in the in the in the assassination of Chris and come from by the leadership I mean the liberation fighters Nelson Mandela and 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 his all his other peers because it's it's a rumor that's always been you know floating around but I've never gotten the history behind it I just wanted to find out if um, any one of you can maybe explain that rumor and if it's true or not. It's Kanyen Katlong. Thanks. Thank you very much for that, uh, 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 Katleho. Maybe just in 30 seconds to try and answer that. Uh, Obviously, there there is a plethora of theories and uh, and, and almost thoughts around what happened with the assassination of Comrade Chris. And I think part of it is the reason why the South African Communist Party has come out and essentially uh, in pushing for an inquest. Uh, 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 and obviously we have a case, that, as an example, in, in South Africa, how two cases, the one of Timol and the one of Neil Aket, has, has essentially uh, helped, assisted greatly in, in, in exposing the, uh, what really happened uh, in the assassination and in the killing of those two activists. And so uh, I think there's a belief that uh, a proper inquest will lay to bear uh, and also even remove some of the issues and, and questions that lie with many of our listeners. Uh, Professor Hadebe, is it possible maybe to take a bite of this question probably within one minute, 30 seconds? No, I, I think you've, you, you, you've, you, you, you've clarified the issue that precisely the reason why the, an inquest is important to lay to rest some of these conspiracy theories that uh, always resurface during this time. But I mean, um, uh, because uh, <laughs> I don't believe them. I mean, from where I'm standing, I mean, of course, I, don't, I, I, I was not there, so I don't know what happened. But the, the, the inquest should certainly help us. Uh, because if you listen to the family in particular, um, there's quite a number of uh, unresolved issues as the people who are the closest to, uh, to Conrad Krizani. And uh, they've got information that they think that should be tested, uh, you know. So I think uh, an inquest will definitely help us resolve this, some of these issues. Thank you very much. Uh, let's take a quick break. Uh, we'll be right back. The Viewpoint with Songhez Omapeke on Mondays and Tuesdays, 8 till 10 p.m. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, just a reminder, so we are in conversation with Professor Manja Khatebe on his uh, fascinating book, The Lost Prince of the ANC. Uh, um, and uh, we still have our lines open uh, for conversation. You can again call 086-000-2032 or you can send a voice note on 061-4104-107. And please remember to make the voice notes in less than 60 seconds. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, Professor Hatebe, just our last question was was on this issue of uh, Mzala writing, yeah. cooking the rice inside the pot and responding particularly to what he says he calls uh, comfortable leadership in mm. exile. Al- 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 almost a replica of 
the kinds of issues that were raised by Chris, or, or sorry, yeah. in what is called the Chris Memorandum. But the significance of this leading to the Gwabe Conference, as was the Chris Memorandum, its significance also that led to the Morocco Conference. Uh, so uh, what will be the comfortable leadership kind of issues facing our, our, our leaders today? And what does cooking the rice inside the pot look like today? Well, uh, the, the rice thesis, uh, let's start there, is an interesting one for me because uh, Mzala was not, uh, by the way, the first African intellectual revolutionary to use this phrase. I mean, um, Amelka Cabral used it in 1972 when he was paying homage to Kwame Krumah, mm -hmm. uh, saying something to the effect that for an, uh, you know, for, he says, there's an African, African people say, rice only cook inside the pot, um, which is very important. Um, uh, and I think Mzala appeals on the, uh, on the thesis. So I'm not sure whether it was um, using the African uh, adage. But the point uh, to your question, uh, uh, if you listened uh, attentively to what Aus Dimpo and he said yesterday, uh, I mean, she lamented the fact that there seemed to be no political will to resolve issues. That, for me, speaks to the question of comfortable leadership. Mzala spoke about the leadership uh, in his uh, in his rice thesis uh, that, that was building pyramids uh, in Egypt. Uh, so was the Ani Memorandum raised the issue. I mean, if you juxtapose the two, the Ani Memorandum spoke about the leaders who were getting comfortable in exile, who were becoming politicians, rather than become, instead of remaining revolutionaries. Mm. Uh, one of the points that Ausdimpo also raised, they said that she spoke about the lack of love for the people. Mm. Um, and I agree that if you love the people, some of the policy positions, that have landed us where we are today. Forget corruption, uh, but these policy po positions alone demonstrates uh, lack uh, of love for the motive force of the National Democratic Revolution. Uh, therefore, if you then do, if you were to use the rice thesis as Mzala, who would have, it would appear that leaders are indeed building pyramids. Uh, in Egypt through the anti-intellectual, neoliberal induced austerity measures, for example. Um, unfortunately, um, to use Mzala some, uh, at, at some point, they will have to cross the Red Sea. Uh, I don't know what will be the Red Sea uh, um, in our current context. But coming, you know, so, so, so in my view, I mean, Mzala's argument in the rice thesis was that uh, one of the major problems of the ANC was that the port uh, there was it was not synchronized. I mean, the port was in Mozambique, the matches were in Lusaka, and the stove was in South Africa. And what needed to be done was to synchronize uh, some of those some of these things. And I think if you listen to the current uh, debates that are in, uh, emerging from the from the alliance board within COSADU and the SACP you get a sense that at some point, some of these will have to be synchronized to resolve the deep-seated mm. structural problems that are facing the working class mm. in South Africa. Thank you very much, Professor Hatebe. We have a call from a caller from uh, Miles from Nigel. Miles? Thank you. Thank you for taking my call. Can you hear me? Yes. 
Look, um, the inquest would be welcomed by people like us that has been around since day one. You remember when Chris Hines' body was lying in state at FNB Stadium, I braced the cold the whole night, standing there with a placard that said, we shall never, ever forgive you and forget you for killing our honey. We will only on one condition welcome this inquest if it starts within because that is what we never spoke about. Then it can spread its wings outside and go back to the Walus. And then, you know, people do not know that uh, revolutionary, the late Khrushani, I wouldn't call him a comrade because the term comrade has become a term that insults us and that has betrayed the revolution. That he walked away from Kodesa because he found out during that day, he was sitting with his communist friends around the table in, at the World Trade Center, negotiating and making compromises. And at night, these people, they still are alive, and they are multimillionaires, having secretive deals behind the backs of the Mandelas and the Sulus, you know, talking about huge free shares with billions of friends. And imagine, immediately after the 1994, these people became multi-millionaires and they are still alive. They must also be included in the inquest to tell us what do they know about the assassination of revolutionary Khrushani. Number two, uh, where was Mamhani the day Khrushani was assassinated that Saturday morning? Where, and, and another thing is, the person that was with Kasani the night before he was assassinated was never called to the court case to come and give evidence, never called to the TRC. The bodyguards were never called to the court case, never called to the TRC to come and say, where were you guys and why did you left all revolutionary Kasani? Because he was the most wanted communist in this country. You know, they were never called to come and give their side of the story. And, and right there, you will find out, in fact, why Kasani had to be taken out by hook or by crook because he was left alone by his own comrades to die a cold and a very vicious death. Then we can talk about the other things. While okay, uh, let's just take a, a quick break and then we'll we'll get back and we have also another call and then Professor Hatebe will answer. The Viewpoint is leading the conversation all across South Africa right now. Stay tuned to SAFM. We are back. Uh, uh, and sorry for Miles for getting cut, but uh, I think we got the gist of what was the question. We have another caller, pro- uh, 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 Prof. Uh, uh, Ngonde from Cape Town. Ngonde, please come through. Nanda from Cape Town. Okay, so it looks like we lost Nanda. We have a text here, uh, and the question says, with the benefit of time and hindsight, uh, what, if anything, is one thing or things that are obvious now, but not then that were omissions on the part of the black struggle side of the political divide? And knowing what we know now, what could be black struggle formations that have insisted or broken away from that now are uh, a great service uh, to the people. 
Okay, Dr. Pengo, can I come in? Yes, yes, please. Yes, I, I, I think um, let's start with um, Miles' uh, observation. And I think that I, I fully remember um, Miles at FNP, Miles Goodwin. And precisely the reason why we need an inquest uh, so that we can lay the ghost and the conspiracy, conspiracy theories uh, on the assassination of our former general secretary to rest. All the SACP is asking for in calling for the inquest uh, is for the truth to be told. Um, who did Janusz Waldus work with to assassinate uh, Krizani? And I think that um, uh, every peace-loving South African would agree with the fact that an inquest would help us uh, to know the truth because it is only on the basis of the truth that we can move on and forget, as the judge uh, who told us the other day says, it's been 25 years, move on. We can only move on on the basis of the truth. So I think that is that is that is important. If I got a gist of the text, um, what it's, uh, it, it, it's sought to say, I think the essence of the national liberation struggle was the self-determination of the oppressed majority people. And that's what uh, both Chris and Nzala would have spoken about. And Nzala in particular wrote extensively about the resolution of the national question uh, in South Africa. With hindsight, of course, I think uh, they say that uh, hindsight is the best science. Um, but the fact of the matter is that almost 30 years into, into democracy, you still have the majority of the motive force of the National Democratic Revolution still living in abject poverty. And I think that at the, at the center of uh, Mzala's argument was the, the economic question. That is why in his view that to wage the, the, the national struggle was important, in South Africa was important, but concurrently you needed to wage the, the class struggle because from Zyla, it was, very, it was very clear in his mind that the South African problem can only be, res be resolved through socialism. Thank you very much, uh, Professor Hatebe. This is really, and um, listeners, uh, quite a, a very useful uh, 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 conversation. It looks like we have Ngonde back. Uh, Ngonde, would like to come through again? Hello? Yes, Ngonde. Uh, please go yes. through. Okay, in 1994, right, what we did or what the GNU did is where we are now, right? I remember in 1994, we had something called an RTP. When I look at RTP, it was nothing else but uh, a, a policy by John Maynard Keynes. In other words, um, using fiscal to solve our problem, right? Unfortunately, in 96, this was unceremoniously abandoned in favor of gear, which gear was pushed by World Bank, IMF, OECD, and so forth. That is where we find ourselves, because that gear was based on a wrong ideology, which is neoliberal. In short, it means in life, one succeeds because of the inherent strength and, and 
deficit and, and um, ability and one because of the inherent weaknesses and deficits. I find that problematic because Ronald Reagan, you know, who was the governor of California, actually applied the same policy that could have saved us from what we are now. Because as a governor of California, he allowed the deficit to be 20% to solve the unemployment problem. Right? Ronald Reagan will know that he was... Monday, it, uh, it looks like we have lost Monday, but we got the gist. Uh, essentially, Professor Khatebe, Monday, I think, is asking about mm. uh, what could have been possible if we had not taken key uh, approach and continued it uh, yeah. with the RCP. I think, yes. Yes, I, I mean, I mean, I think Monday is correct, and I fully agree with him that the, the moment the movement jettisoned the RDP for a neoliberal macroeconomic policy framework. Uh, I think that's where part of our problem started, and that's why we lost because um, uh, what the neoliberalism uh, uh, done has contributed to to most of our problems. We are not the only country in the world that is dealing with the harmful effects of neoliberalism. Um, I mean, you look, you 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 could look at the issues of, I mean. The effects of neoliberalism is experienced through socioeconomic consequences. Um, if you look at the, our high levels of poverty, uh, our uh, chronic and structural unemployment, um, the degeneration of the income distribution, are some of the consequences of 1996. And I think. Uh, uh, so Monday is, co is correct that th that's why we, we, we went wrong, and I think it is important that the movement must self correct in addressing some of these issues. Thank you very much, Professor Khatebe. Uh, just in wrapping up, Prof, uh, uh, on, on this wonderful conversation, maybe lastly, just in wrapping up, maybe you can just, uh, uh, in a very brief, like in almost uh, uh, one and a half minutes, just tell us, f for you, uh, what are the key things, maybe two, three key things that the reader and South Africans in general should should take with them after reading or learning about this book or even learning about Mzala? Well, uh, for me, let me tell you what I, I I took out going through the experience of researching and writing about Mzala. There are three things. Uh, one is that we are the witnesses of history, and therefore it is crucial that we must record the history as we see it. So write. Mzala wrote everything he saw. That is why you could remember and understand his experiences. So writing is the first one. Second one is that we have to, to be able to do that, we have to ready ourselves and be empowered so that we are able to lead and read like Nzala. So reading is always important. Uh, what is a, there's a second lesson. And the last, uh, uh, which number, number three, is uh, action and your praxis. Uh, because reading and writing without action will be futile. So we must be action-oriented 
And Mzala demonstrated throughout his life that he just did not read and write, but he led by example. That is why he did what he did all over, uh, including in Swaziland and in the front. So those are the three things I will take from the experience of having read, read, written about Mzala. Thank you very much, Professor Khatebe. This was uh, truly uh, an insightful conversation, and uh, uh, it was really great pleasure to have you with us. Thank you very much. Uh, listeners, Thank you very Thanks, Dr. Ping. Listeners, it's 2100. Let's take the news with Craig Holtz.